Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Leadership Void Podcast. I'm Enrique with my co-host, Vince, to bring you the best in our veteran, military spouse, and first responder community. And Vince will introduce today's guest. Uh, thanks, Enrique. We have this young lady with us. She has, she wore many hats. She wears many hats as the CEO of Camaraderie Foundation. She is Maria Chedhovsky from the greater Orlando area. Maria, welcome to the show. Let's start off. Tell us a little bit about you. Well, thank you for having me. Born and raised in South America, found myself in Central Florida, trying to create a pathway for myself and uh, fell in love with the business side of academia, which is uh, social entrepreneurship in many ways. Uh, spent 20 years doing that and eventually transitioned to nonprofit. It's been uh, quite a journey in the last six plus years uh, in executive roles of different organizations uh, with one common thread, serving people in need, helping those who need a hand up and uh, ensure that everybody has a pathway to a successful life that is independent, self-sufficient, and fulfilled. Well, thankfully, we have been witness of all the things that you've been doing here for the last six years here in Central Florida, and we are very appreciative. Now, you are the head of the Camaraderie Foundation now. We, both Vince and I, are very well acquainted with the Camaraderie Foundation, but for those that are listening and may not know, tell us a little bit about the Camaraderie Foundation. Of course. Camaraderie Foundation was uh, formed in 2009. It was uh, born out of a military couple that realized that every tour and transition back into family life uh, was not as easy as people would assume it is, right? There are uh, experiences that our military will go through that is bound to affect people in many ways, some more profound than others. And um, they basically made a commitment to uh, support veterans and active military and their families to help with that transition back into society uh, when they retire or if they have mental health, PTSD, anything else that may impact that transition. So we're mostly known for our mental health services, which we offer across the entire US which is one of the uh, biggest secrets or unknowns, I should say, because we don't keep it a secret, but it is a big unknown for a lot of people. We help uh, over 600 clients across the U.S. every single year. Uh, of course, the primary market is in Florida. Um, and uh, surprisingly enough, for many people I speak with, it's not even in central Florida. It's really in the Tampa Bay Hillsborough area. So those are the two biggest markets. However, we do have representation throughout the entire U.S. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of people in the mental health space and um, our approach is a little bit different, if I can say so, because we have a number of programs that, although at first glance, they may seem to be disjointed or unrelated to each other, there's a science behind that. So uh, I'll share it real quick. We, our model is really based on the discretion and advice of a medical advisory board. We actually have physicians and experts in this space who guide what we do from the triaging process to identifying someone's needs, what treatments we're going to support or not support based on whether they're new, uh, known, proven, and what's likely to help people the most. We also have 600 plus uh, mental health experts, licensed experts across the U.S. with whom we match clients so they can have the face-to-face -face interaction that they need. Very few people want to have this kind of um, 
relationship because it's very vulnerable to go through mental health. So most people do not want to engage online. There's something to be said about that face-to-face in-person interaction. And so we have a lot of people who prefer that, which is why we have built a network of over 650 experts across the U.S., we're part of our staffing um, who help with providing those services. In addition to that, um, whether individuals have gone through the mental health um, process and they feel now that they're ready to face the next chapter of, of their lives, or they come to us right out of the military uh, in the in coming out of transition, we hear that TAP may not have done for them everything that they needed to. So that sometimes is an entry point for us to come in and help. That's where the mentor leadership program comes in to build a network, to provide resources, to help guide them through what does civilian life look like? What kind of industries are you going to find in this space? What kind of employers and roles could you potentially look for? How is it different to interview as you're going for a promotion in the military versus getting a job in civilian life. And it's not always a one-to-one. And that can be very disheartening for people who have had a military career, uh, especially for high-ranking officers. Um, they may not always start at the same high level on an organization. So there's a disappointment that comes with that. So we sometimes see people who have gone through that transition three or four times, and they'll tell us, they told me, this is my fourth transition. And I'm sometimes surprised to hear this. I will have Why haven't you come see us sooner? We will have helped you figure out the better path for you or align you with a path that spoke to where you were in that moment in time and what your needs were. Um, provide them with tools and resources and skills so they can talk to their employer at that moment instead of just jumping to the next job, next job, next job if they were disappointed. That does not help them. Uh, it impacts their mental health as well because there's a lack of stability that they're not accustomed to. That's not, that's what they had in the military, but not here. So now there's, a, it's just adding to this pressure cooker of financial responsibilities, uh, family responsibilities to the transition. And then of course, overlaying all of that, we have the mental health piece, PTSD. And for some of them, 34% of the clients we see have a comorbid um, diagnosis of substance abuse. Uh, and about 25 of them have suffered military sexual trauma. And so when you look at those statistics, um, it, it's, not, it's not really that hard to realize that there's a great need for help. And that's where we find different ways and different entry points to meet them where they are and then help them through that journey, whether they first come to us for mental health or whether they come in for a family funding, which allows people to leave the house, avoid isolation, remember what it was like to have fun with the family and hopefully rebuild those relationships so we can hopefully avoid those getting to a situation where divorce is the only way out. Um, and of course, the biggest thing that we do with all of our programs is we save families. Um, but at the end of the day, our mission really is about saving lives. No, absolutely, Maria. And I'm a testament of the great thing you all do as far as a mentor leadership program. I had the opportunity to use that as a building block to where I'm at today. So my success is attributed to everything your organization does. And for the arrest, also, you know, you deal with the invisible uh, wounds of war at no cost to the veterans. So definitely, folks, all throughout the United States, there's opportunities and you'll learn more how to get a hold of Maria to, to find out how to join this wonderful cause and just either donate or be a recipient of the pathway to your success 
either in the mental side or mental leadership side. But Maria, I'd love to know, since you've been in the nonprofit space for a while, we'd love to share challenges or lessons learned from running a nonprofit to share with our audience today. There are many challenges to running a nonprofit. There's many challenges to working in a nonprofit, and those two can be very different. Uh, working in a nonprofit, um, I have found individuals with a lot of heart. And the struggle for them as a leader of those individuals has always been um, having to balance their desire to give endlessly, right? Bottomlessly, no limit, but you're still running a business. And because nonprofits, whether you like it or not, we still have compliance and insurance and bills and buildings and salaries. It's not a group of um, volunteers who are supporting. This is not just a support group and a group of moms giving back. It is an actual business. And so a lot of people in nonprofit have a really tough time seeing it that way. And um, that's a challenge for a leader uh, that was born and raised in that environment to rise up to, wow, I'm really responsible for profits and losses and different stakeholders and compliance and audits and strategic planning and all of those things. So my career was a little different. So having come in from a um, governmental academic background, I had that structure. So I'm, I've been able to see the dichotomy. And so the challenge for me as a leader is helping educate the team um, but um, I don't see it as a challenge. I see it as an opportunity to really create um, better leaders for the future because everybody in my team eventually will grow, spread their wings and encourage them to do so very much like the military does. Uh, and hopefully they'll, there's a legacy that will go with them because of all the things that they have learned. Um, so that's from the people side, right? There's the realization that yes, you can give the, the, the last shirt off your back, the last meal, the last penny in your pocket, uh, but you're not really in it for the long haul if you're not running it as a business. So that's a concept that I wish all nonprofits would realize. You have to think long-term, otherwise your mission will be short-lived. Um, the, the other piece from a leadership perspective is that, again, because we are a business, we need funding and funding support. Um, the community and the clients that we serve, we serve at no cost at all, not a penny out of pocket. Whether we're taking them to theme parks, we provided resources and referrals, mental health counseling, whatever we're doing for them, it has absolutely no cost ever. So somebody at some point needs to ask the question, well, who's paying for that? <laughs> somebody is, there's a cost to running the business. Well, that's where fundraising comes in. And that is the number one challenge for every single nonprofit. There's only so many avenues that we can pursue funding, donations, board engagement, give and get policies for board members, grants, you know, um, a fundraising campaign, peer-to-peer, -peer, uh, and not a whole lot more, you know, governmental grants. If you have a compliance team that knows how to handle that, many organizations are not equipped to take on the compliance requirements with federal funding. And so, um, at the end of the day, all of us nonprofits are vying for the same funding, so it becomes that much more competitive. And from the industry side, there's been a huge shift in their processes, whereby now they talk about uh, sustainability, corporate responsibility, and for them to be able to accept an organization and support them financially, like in our case, we need to advocate and make a case, build a case for why us versus someone else, why us 
how do we contribute to their themes and pillars and what they're looking to support. But more importantly, how are we going to be good stewards of their money? And what kind of ROI are we going to generate through their generosity so that it can actually help their own annual reports, impact reports, because they have their own stakeholders to, re to report to. So in a way, we become an extension of the funders and as a leader, uh, now that adds to that many more stakeholders that we have to work with um, because we, we have somewhat of a symbiotic relationship. They need us as a conduit to get to the community and provide services that they're not set up to do. And we need them for the funding to, uh, to enable us to provide the services that we do. So that is a dynamic that is not always spoken about, but it's very critical. And it takes a lot of time and effort to build those relationships more, and more than anything, maintain them long-term. Yeah, I love how you are approaching nonprofit because nonprofit doesn't mean non-money, right? It just, it means that this system has to be driven the way that you have just spoken. Now we have seen Camaraderie Foundation and many fa facets of their uh, giving back to the community. Mm -hmm. And wow, is all I could say with how much you do, with how little you may have, uh, it's amazing the things and the programs that you have in place for the service members coming out and are currently in our community. So tell us a little bit about what's on the horizon for Camaraderie Foundation. So we are working on, um, we're in the midst of transition for many reasons, right? Not only because I'm relatively new to the organization, I, I'm just now finishing five months, um, but we are looking to, I know you blink and it's five months later, um, but it's been quite the journey and I'm very excited at the future. We, we've taken a, a really hard look at our numbers uh, not just financially, but also I'm very much data-driven and I try to apply meaning to numbers. And that's something I'm really um, making a, a point of training my team to understand. Numbers are not just for reporting. If they're not informing us, we're not really shifting, adapting, and planning for the future. It's just a number with no meaning. And with that meaning, you know, we, we can might as well just throw a, a dart. And, and see whatever it lands and, and that may become the, the path. So we, we're working on becoming more strategic. We are building more relationships in the community. We are diversifying who we engage with from uh, an industry perspective. We have been very DOD driven for a very long time. And um, the conversation I've had with both the board and the staff, um, we really are making an investment in an organization. And if you think about it from that perspective, it's no different from when you invest in your future, when you invest in your own development as a person and your own financial investments. So whatever that category may be that you relate to, you don't put all eggs in one basket, right? You have to diversify. You have to be well-rounded. You have to have a pathway forward that will resonate with all industries in this case uh, who cater to veterans. And it's not just DOD. So I think that that is a huge opportunity for us moving forward in terms of collaboration, in terms of giving back to those uh, entities who have already hired veterans, but who may have not been successful at retaining veterans. Our mental leadership program can help with that as well. So even if you employed, we can help you be more productive, have better discussions with your employer. And for the employer's perspective, help us out and we will help you ensure that you can retain your veteran staff. Um, from a board perspective, in financial perspective, 
the same diversification will work for us. When it comes to the economy, this always cycles. I mean, history has shown us that, has shown that time and time again, right? And so how do you weather the storm when you have talks about a recession or DOD is scaling back on investments, uh, whether contractors who we rely quite heavily. Um, so how are we diversifying in terms of engaging different industries so that what we do and who we engage is representative of the entire community to whom we serve? And that's a big shift that we've been working on for the last couple of months. And um, now the team is on board, the board is on board, um, and, uh, and, and that's a big path forward for us. I think that there's a lot of scalability ahead as a result of that. We treat it, we're taking it one step at a time, very strategically, very intentionally, um, because um, we want to make sure that this allows us to create a foundation that would allow us to build upon and scale from that point forward. Um, so that's part of what we're looking at. Now, will that re result in new programs, new locations, having staffing in new uh, areas across the US? Potentially, uh, we haven't quite scripted out what that means, other than the fact that our collective agreement that we're not just a DOD military organization, uh, we really are here to support every veteran and active service member, regardless of the industry, and the same thing with the employers. And that's really the dynamic that we're working really hard to build, and we're open to whatever that might take us. Uh, open indeed, and the future is definitely bright for the Camaraderie <laughs> Foundation, folks. So you heard it first here from Maria, the CEO. And she talked about, you know, the why behind the data and that all the skill sets behind that. So talk about skills. Let's talk about leadership for a second. What do you do, Maria, in your spare time when you're not working 18 hours to aid you to thrive in your professional life? Um, I always look for growth. I'm that professional learner that's always trying to challenge myself to learn um, about the environment around me that is constantly evolving and always learning how to be a better leader. Um, you know, just like children are not born with a manual. Uh, we used to say that, I used to say that as a mom, I wish kids were born with a manual. There's nothing to guide me through it. Leadership in many ways is the same, right? We rely on our experiences. We rely on our network. We relied on our learnings to really weather the storm and figure out how to adapt to what the, the, the team in our, um, stakeholders will, will need from me, uh, from us. And, um, you know, having learned, which I did eventually learn, that being a leader is not just making it to the top, and it's not just about making decisions, and it's not about having the final say, which a lot of us were raised and taught that way, even in college. It really is about service. You're serving others. You are somebody else's service. And that just shifts the entire dynamic and how you engage people. Um, and, and that has allowed me and really pushed me to have to relearn a lot of things as well. So what do I do? Um, listen to music. That's always just a, a big way, a very quick way for me to change, uh, to change moods. I'm a big 80s girl. So if you ever see me in a parking lot and I'm in between meetings, I need to transition and just recenter. You'll hear me singing out loud. I used to sing a lot. And so you'll hear me in the car singing solo making a fool of myself, but it's a great transition for me. Um, uh, we do karaoke with the kids at home. I mentioned before we started, we do a lot with animal rescues, uh, especially dogs. 
and uh, I love to travel. So I, I've recently learned that since I can't travel a whole lot, being that I've been very busy, um, I've learned to find new ways to center myself. And as much as I used to hate it, I now walk barefoot in my yard just to recenter, reconnect with earth and um, taking the sights, taking the smells, taking the, the, all of the senses, engaging all the senses and allowing my mind to disconnect from whatever I may be feeling or thinking in that moment. And I have found that through doing that, you'd be surprised how answers and solutions you've been looking for somehow just appear because now it's not just your brain that is engaged, but it's all of you. It's the entire energy that makes your body work as a system that is now fully engaged to really help you work through whatever may be the stressor in that moment. So that's a lot of what I do. And there's a lot of wisdom in being still, especially when they have a chaotic world, everything's moving around. You are amazed at what clarity comes by just staying still. I'm one for grounding, so I'm with you there. And I love to do that. When you were growing up, you, you mentioned hey, a lot of South America came here, started doing this 20 years in business. Now you're at the top. You're talking about leadership being a servant position rather than a telling position. But what advice did you receive that you would like to pass on to an emerging leader today? I think one of the best advices I have received has really been, well, I had I had a coach a few years ago and she would tell me something that I could not relate to. And I would get really frustrated with her because it was like, you're just giving me lip service. It's like, I need solutions. And she would say, Maria, this too shall pass. Maria, this too shall pass. And in that moment, it's really hard to hear. I'm a fixer. So I have a challenge, I have a problem my brain will not turn off. I need to fix it and come up with a solution for myself, for my team, for the people that we serve. And my brain will be in overtime doing that. So her advice did not resonate with me for a very long time until I realized that, again, you're in a position of service, right? Um, you're bound to get some things right. You're bound to get some things wrong. You learn, you pick right up, and you do better next time. And so I coupled her advice with something else, which was, you know, just learn to be gracious with yourself, show yourself some grace. If we're willing to do that for someone else, why are we not being that much more gentle with ourselves? Why do we put that extra stress on us? If we do, we're just doing the same thing that everybody else is doing. And if we're really not able to be the best that we possibly can be. And so grace and gentleness and kindness has to start from within. And I have had to practice that. And that's what I have coupled with her advice because I can allow now myself to be a bit more gentle. I can push really hard myself. I can push myself really hard, but I can also scale back and give myself a break because the storm will pass. Whatever may be that's going on, this too shall pass. It, we're not, you know, this is not the end of the world. This is not, um, it's just one more season and seasons come and go. And so that has really helped me going back to grounding, realize that I don't have to be so hard on myself to have all the answers and get them all right. You know, it is a journey for my team, the people I work with, the board, just as much as it is for myself. So I will give in my all always but I can also allow myself a little break if I don't have it all together and all the answers right away. 
And that's something that I'm trying to practice every single day. Absolutely. We constantly practice that, you know, taking care of self, you know, and you still talk about clearing the path and grounding. I also mentioned the word sur surrendering, surrendering mm -hmm. yourself to, you know, either mother nature being grounded and, and surrendering your thoughts. So you can definitely mm -hmm. be clear. So that's mm -hmm. awesome. And you also mentioned early, early on about leadership being about control and power and it's changed and reframed about being in service and empowering. So love all the advice you shared in your story. I would also love to hear about a memorable leadership aha moment you can share with our audience as well. I think my biggest aha moment, it ties back to how I was taught in college, right? And, and my dad always owned businesses. So I, I've had both perspectives in terms of what a business leader, what business owner life looked like. And um, I had this, um, again, going back to this coach, I'm a big proponent of coaches because boy, oh boy, can they just call stuff out and, and open your eyes to things that you may not otherwise. And uh, this one coach said to me, you are going to live your life of leadership uh, or as a leader disappointed if you don't change the way of thinking. I was like, well, that's quite insulting. And she said, there's one specific thing you need to change. It's like, okay. She said, you are going to be disappointed because you were raised, which is true. I was raised in a way to respect authority and look up to authority. And spending 20 years, 20 some years in academia, we do talk about the ivory tower. We put people up on a pedestal because it's a whole trajectory that it takes for people to earn their stripes and get to that level. And you don't question, you just admire and you dream of becoming them or somewhat close to who they are and what they are. But that also has the flip side. And that is the fact that you can become easily disappointed. And that's what happened with me. I was looking at people who had those titles, whether it's in academia or in private um, entities or nonprofits, you look at the C-suite and you would have expectations of who those people are, how those people will carry themselves, or the fact that they should have all the answers. And the reality was, it was my lens that was completely off. My expectations of them were wrong. And that's what was setting me up to be disappointed because I would look at those scenarios, I would meet those people and say, well, they should know better. They should be able to fix it. They should be able to do that. And the reality was, no, they were still working through it. But it was my own learning, my own journey, my own upbringing that had wired me to develop those expectations. And that disappointment came time and time and time again. And once I realized that, wow, now that I'm in that position, I realized, I'm just a person. I'm a person with a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge, doing my best. But no, I'm not going to have all the answers. No, I'm not always going to get it right. My team's not always going to agree with me. And so I'm wondering, am I now disappointing people because of that? So once the tables were turned, that was a huge aha moment. I realized that's what the coach was talking about. I was setting myself for failure because my expectations of myself were so much higher than anybody else's. Because I figured from what I had seen, I had to do better. These people weren't doing better. I need to do better. And um, that's quite the tall order. But once I realized it's just one more human being who arrived at that position because they earned it, because of time on the roll, because somebody entrusted them with that. And sometimes it's just mere luck. 
right? Whatever the reason may be as to why they, they got there, they need to give themselves grace and be gentle with themselves. But so is everybody else who's looking at them. Because when I was in those shoes, I was disappointed. And I was like, I don't understand. They should have answers. They should do better. They should fix this. And that was my big aha moment. When I crossed that line and I became a leader, we're just people. Perfectly imperfect. We're just people. <laughs> and that's a fact. Now, you're telling the story and I'm thinking about, wow, how many times we've been raised or how many of us have been raised in one way that those teachings will cause times of challenge later on, right? And talking specifically about challenge, what are certain strategies you use with, with yourself and your team to deal with these times of possible change or challenges? I don't know that I would call it a strategy per se, um, because that implies that it is um, planned. I, I'd like to say that the approach that I take instead is one of transparency and vulnerability, uh, partnership with the team so that they know that I will roll up my sleeves and I do just as much, sometimes even more so than they do. That's what I'm, that's the difference between a leader and a boss. The boss will push, the leader will take the charge and follow the lead. And so that for me is very important that they know that I am right there with them and I will be the first in line taking the charge and I will be the ones to um, take the brunt and even be a buffer. I want to make sure that they care for that this trust um, between the team, that there's an environment that has made everybody comfortable to have the uncomfortable discussions um, because innovation comes as a result of that creativity comes as a result of that and you get the best from people when we create an environment that is stressful and the decisions are made from the top down you're not really allowing or engaging people in a way that you can get their perspective and their insights and their suggestions and so um, my team knows that yes ultimately the buck stops with me um, i'm still responsible for what we do for better for worse uh, but they know that I'm very inclusive in, in everything that I do. And what has allowed me to do that is the fact that I am perfectly comfortable being transparent, uh, being authentic, and being vulnerable with them as well. And that really is what has created that environment to have those discussions very candidly with whatever it is that we need to discuss. Because the lesson learned that I mentioned before Anybody in the C-suite, we're just people. I make sure that my team realizes, yes, I may be the decision maker. Yes, I have the title, but I'm just a person. We all are. We bleed the same. We breathe the same. We sleep the same. We hurt the same. We love the same. And so when you create that unifier, um, you really allow yourself to have a very different kind of team dynamic. Um, and we've been able to build that very, very quickly, which I'm proud of. And that's what's allowing us to go through what we're going through and dream about a wonderful future ahead. Absolutely. And you know, they picked the right person for the CEO <laughs> five months in and five more and five years to go. And veterans <laughs> are very appreciative of everything. There's two of us here that really thank you for everything you're doing, oh. Maria. Uh, for those that are listening in and those that are perfectly imperfect, right? How do we contact you or the Camaraderie Foundation? 
Absolutely. So all of our emails are structured the same way. First initial, last name at camaraderiefoundation.org. So anyone from the team, they want to email myself included, that will be the email address. Uh, the main number for our offices is 407-841-0071. And we do have a tree line uh, so they can get a hold of myself. They can get a hold of any staff member, counseling, events, sponsorships, which we always welcome. Um, and uh, of course, through our website, uh, website, social media, so camaraderiefoundation.org. We are also on um, uh, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, Facebook, and a few other platforms. So multiple ways of getting in touch with us, uh, whether they call for help, they call to offer us help, or if they call us to tell us of somebody else who needs help. All right, and we're going to have that as part of the video and show notes for you to get a hold of Maria and Camaraderie Foundation, a wonderful organization that Vince and I have been benefactors of on many different occasions and many different fronts. If you want to get a hold of us at the Leadership Void Podcast, the Leadership Void at gmail.com is where you'll send that correspondence. If you want to see a specific leadership topic covered or a specific guest, do it by those means and we'll curate that. Absolutely. And we also want to thank our sponsors, Triple Nickel. We have VEI in favor of sponsoring our wonderful show, The Leadership Void. But today, healing the invisible wounds of war, one veteran at a time from the Camaraderie Foundation, we have the CEO, nothing less but Maria. Thank you for being on the show and have a great day. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. 